a lot of times I see I see uh, players in, in World of Warcraft talk about false gates in things, which is like, here's a thing that I want to achieve, but there's like a weekly reset timer on it. So I can only get it, you know, so fast or something. And this is a false gate to my progress. Right, versus the rest of the game, which is somehow. Yeah, as opposed to the real gate of like, when I kill a boss, sometimes I don't get the thing that I want because it's random, right? Like, that's for some reason real and fine. (laughs) (laughs) Scotch Hey everybody, welcome to episode 287 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I don't know what day of the week it is. I'm Sam and I'm full of potatoes. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is November 27th. 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show, there's going to be some swear words. So prepare your, your ears for that. We'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for uh, letting us grab your money to support the podcast. All right. Now, this week is weird because we're on vacation. We're still recording the podcast, you know, during vacation. So it's sort of a semi-vacation mm-hmm. right now. But uh, we don't, so we don't really have like studio news or industry news. You know, it's Thanksgiving break. I'm not paying so attention. So we're just going to talk about yeah, yeah. So we've just been kind of chilling uh, for this week, and so we're just going to talk about like what have we kind of been up to. Well, I, I think most importantly, we need to talk about the fact that it's it's Black Friday week. Yep. Which, <laughs> which, uh, you know, holiday creep is a real thing. You know. Like it was the case that uh, you know Christmas has crept its its way all the way back to the day after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? Um, Thanksgiving stuff would kind of start like you start seeing those sorts of like decorations and whatever. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving has a lot less creep because it's mostly just about it like turkey. Yep, there's yep. like less of it to creep. But Black Friday has now sort of like it. It was just that that snapshot in time. You know, like right after Thanksgiving. But now it's kind of like crept its way both before and after Thanksgiving. Well, I mean, you guys probably remember when Cyber Monday – Cyber Monday was the first creep. It was the first. Right? Yeah. And it was just the it was just the, the following Monday, I think, right? It was the following Monday yep. of yep. Black Friday because all these online stores were like – because they didn't have a, a Black Friday equivalent when Black Friday was invented, which was actually I think not that long ago really in terms of like it being a big thing. And then I remember, because I remember, I think it was like in high school maybe, I remember going to Newegg.com when yeah, they oh, started yeah. having their Cyber Monday deals to buy computer parts, you know. Buy some yeah. RAM. Buying a gig or whatever. Yeah, get some RAM. Get GB of DDR3 RAM. Yeah, I think you mean a megabyte of DDR.5 probably. RAM, you know what I mean? Buy yeah. an extra floppy disk to store my video game. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been oh, creeping man. real hard. And I think the, the thing that's so funny about it, like – it's either the force of the holiday or it's the force of capitalism that's driving these things. It's always – I mean capitalism you know, drives it's holidays, so it's still – It does. It's, it does. It's always capitalism. And so – It's always about the money. Yeah. I mean I think luckily I don't know that anybody got trampled this year because, of course, I don't think there's any – there's no doorbuster situations that I know of uh, today on Black Friday because it's Black Friday. Um at least I, I really hope that there's no one out physically shopping today. Oh, there, oh, there, there will be. There are so many people out physically shopping right now. I can't hope for anything these days, no. it seems like. But no, um, but, <laughs> no I saw something too about, the, about even just the Thanksgiving holiday travel in terms of like the air, airlines actually doing yeah. stuff, you know, and apparently there's a lot of it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yep. Everybody's out and about. People are, you know, the thing about this, this worldwide plague. Is that if you if you ignore it, it doesn't exist. Yep. So it's, you just gotta you just gotta close your eyes as hard as you can, and yeah. you are. Although immune. I was, we were talking to our to our dads on uh, on I guess Thanksgiving Day. Yesterday was Thanksgiving Day, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yesterday it was so, like twelve hours ago. <laughs> so it was like twelve hours ago. So we were catching up, and and he informed us that it sounds like basically our entire extended family has now had COVID at this point. Yeah. So, uh, so fortunately, most of them are. Not old enough where they're in like the very high risk category. And, and as far as we know, everyone so far has, has recovered just fine. But, but it's one of those things like in my own little bubble here in St. Louis, cause I like, I don't, I don't know anybody outside of our studio cause I just don't socialize. So, uh, so like I just, and everybody I know 
basically it's just locked down out. tight. It's just, it's just locked yeah. down tight. And so I don't actually know anybody who's gotten COVID. None of us have gotten it, right? None of us have gotten None it, it. And, yeah. nobody, and nobody that I know has gotten it. Um, but then, but then I we then hear like about how how common it is. It's easy to think that it's not really that common, right? But then you look at the numbers, and you and then you and then you talk to people who actually are uh, less locked down and see more people, you know. And discover that shit, like everybody's everybody's getting it right. Yeah, now. when he started so. listening, it was like it's basically like half of our aunts and uncles on on that side of the family yep. have had yep. it. And I'm just like, well, yeah. <laughs> and it's a, and it's always the case that like it would be like yeah. it'd be like one of them, you know, had it and then just like went real quick to like grab a, you know, just like just to go say hello yep. at one of the other houses and like boom, now that whole family <laughs> has it. Just like instantly, you know. It's yeah, so it's it. so contagious. It's but wild. Uh, yeah, so you know, Black Friday, you know, welcome to Super Spreader Capitalism event week. Cause it's it's about to get, yeah, these, uh, get wild. Yeah, two weeks from from probably like this Sunday is gonna be because that's that's when you that's when you know what the peak is but from the super yep. spreader event. Uh, right. Because we're already there, we're already at peak historically that we've had so far of like 180,000 a day or some insane number. Um, yep. So I can't even imagine. And what I did this see like. there was a big, uh, there was a point about how they actually calculate all the, all the data for, or tabulate all the uh, test result data for this. Because of course, yep. actually the tabulators, like there's a bunch of them that have to be done manually. Uh, and also, the ones that are sent in digitally oftentimes like will wait a bit on site before they actually send in some results and stuff like that. And so they said, uh, you actually always see, you typically see a, a higher number it later in the week because essentially what's happening is that the cases, test cases are basically stacking up over the weekend and then they get kind of tabulated right. over the course of the week. So there's big a backlog to bring through. Yeah, because what you're looking yeah. at is diagnosis uh-huh. rate. You're not looking at... Uh, okay. People actually traction. Yeah, they're, they're not looking. Yeah. They don't. They don't. The dates they don't. Or they send are not. Here's the date the person likely contracted it. Right? Exactly. It's, it's here's the date as that of the today test confirmed that they yeah. do actually have. And we counted yeah. it. Right. So I think. And we counted it. They said that because of the Thanksgiving holidays timing, which is always Thursday. So you essentially have a long weekend: Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so they said mm-hmm. after, what's happened after every single one of these is that you'll see what appears to be a dip the Monday, Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday following, and then like. And then you actually see the basically the the cat the counting catches up Thursday and Friday yep. of the fall. Yeah, it's always it's always looked like a sine wave. Yep. Over the week, you know. Uh yeah. So everybody just stay safe. Don't be a don't be a ding dong. You know? Mm-hmm. Just uh <laughs> if you go out, put a mask on, don't go out if you don't have to. I mean it, this is the same shit we've been hearing forever, but it uh really just hasn't sunk in for some reason. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll just keep saying it. Uh but yeah, it's Black Friday week, so I guess go get those deals. You well, know? Did you guys do any uh, good holiday shopping yet? Because I mean, it's just you know, it's Black Friday. No, because the thing is, all the good stuff is gone. I mean, and by all the good stuff, I mean toilet new paper. consoles. You can't buy them. Toilet paper can't buy. Them. <laughs> uh, new Nvidia uh, graphics card can't, can't buy. It. There's, there's yep. yeah, everything so, like, all we're having that, is either not on sale or not available. Period or sold out. Yeah, I was, cause, yeah. Uh, there's there's some uh, Bose has some new um, earbuds that are noise canceling, but like best in class noise canceling wireless mm-hmm. earbuds. I'm very excited about. They've they've said they were going to come out for like the past uh, year, and they've just like delayed, delayed, delayed. And they finally came out, and now there's this list of like they're they're the most expensive ones on the market, also because it's Bose, right? But uh, but it has this like list of just annoyances with them as a as a user experience, and so mm. so now I'm like now I'm like okay, I've one of these forever, but I I can't really justify paying that kind of money for a product that is this yeah, stupidly designed, even though the audio <laughs> quality is apparently like Top the tier. best. And then the noise canceling for an in-ear earbud is also the best, but everything else apparently about the whole experience is like garbage. So, so I need to wait until those things are on a significant discount before I can justify it. And I was just hoping just, but nope, not on sale, you know? Well, mm. when you were telling me, when you, when you were first telling me about this thing, it was like a week ago. I was really confused because you were like, well, the audio quality is really great, but everything else about the user experience is terrible. And I was, I was like, what the fuck else is there? Because well, it's a wireless. If it was a wired, <laughs> it was wireless. Yeah. If it was wired, well, yeah, no exactly. User experience to worry about, except for how well does it stay in your ears, which is a significant user right. experience problem. Right. But with the uh, with the wireless ones, there's like, how do you control it? How do you get it to talk to your device? Right. Right. And so, and then like, how you annoying you can't is just it? Plug it in. Yeah, and then and like carrying around, yeah. like, because you have a charging case, right? So how long does it charge last? How annoying is it to carry the the case around? And so they've opted for every other decision besides just like how good is the sound. For every other decision, they've basically not followed the 
the best in class things that like AirPods are doing and like the Google, the Google, which is so easy to like snap things together and and do all the connection stuff. Yeah. And we're like, they got these cute little cases with like a little magnetic closing thing, you know, and you can Mm -hmm. just slip it in your pocket. It's like the size of a Tic Tac case. And these ones are like, they're like a boat, you know, they're just huge things, (laughs) but but that doesn't give you any extra battery life really. Um, and then like you can't control cause you, they have, they all have like little touch controls on the sides, you know, like just by tapping or swiping on the device. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they let you control like going next and back on your playlist or whatever, but they don't let you control volume there. Right. Uh, so just some, like just some weird, just stupid <laughs> which you decisions. have to do with like an app. Yeah, you do with the app, or or with like your yeah. If it's, if it's talking to your device, you can just hit the you know, up and down yeah. arrows. But um, but yeah, but also then like connecting to things is, is way harder than it should be, and and all kinds of stuff. And, and apparently, best in class now for like the user experience lets you have multiple things that you're connected to, and it just like swaps between and like it does all this kind uh, of yeah, stuff magically yeah. for you. And this is just doing. It's the same like shitty Bluetooth experience that you normally have, basically. Um, Which right now I've got some cheapo noise canceling wireless earbuds that sound like the same user experience. So I'm not actually that worried about it because it's it's (laughs) bearable, and I wouldn't know any better. And so it's fine. But it's just that I can't justify the price, you know, for then reading that litany of like, "Yep, sounds great," but oh man, these are annoying to use, right? So. Uh, but if maybe someday, sale, maybe Black Friday maybe next uh, maybe yeah, next year. Black Friday month. Yep. Yep. You know. Uh, well, so otherwise, as far as like what's been going on on this break, you know, we've we've got a a long long weekend, like a five day weekend. I even took an extra day uh, because the World of Warcraft expansion dropped on Tuesday, uh, which is uh, Shadowlands. So I've been just leveling like crazy, trying to learn all the new stuff. It's just been World of Warcraft week for me. Well, what's that been uh, like? Because it's been, uh, you know, I guess in terms of how long it's been since you've had a basically a multi-day just playing the same game sort of a prob- probably since since college. Mm. Like this is. This has been, uh, it's a lot. Uh, My body isn't equipped. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not equipped for this. I mean, I've got the standing desk. I've got, I've got all the ergonomics, you know, I've I've got everything, but, uh, wow. Like it really, it really takes, takes a toll, you know? Uh, but I'm having a great time. My whole guild is all, you know, doing the same thing. We're all trying to level up and figure out how the, how the game works now because they, they just, they add tons and tons of new great stuff. So like there's two things I wanted to, I want to talk about real quick, which are kind of cool. So one is it's kind of actually it's disgusting, but I just want to share it because it's so so, so gross. Uh, is there's this entire zone called Maldraxxus, and it's sort of like it's it's the place where like uh, if you're familiar with anything in Warcraft, you know that they have a lot of like zombies and yeah. undead stuff and a lot of times they're like pretty gross like they'll have like these flesh beasts that are like made out of body parts stitched together you yeah know? they go for like, like a, they had sort of the body horror version of undead which is yeah. sort of these like so, amalgamations of parts basically yeah. yeah so there's an entire zone uh and, and the the theme behind the shadowlands is this is like the alternate dimension where people go when they die so maldraxxus is where souls are sent to become part of the army of the undead who defend the Shadowlands. Mm. And the entire sort of aesthetic of this zone is that like body horror thing. So in in World of Warcraft, you can choose a profession. You can be like an alchemist or a skinner or a oh, leather no. worker, you know, that kind of stuff. Can you be a Dr. Frankenstein? And, well, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that they have in there is if you're a skinner, normally it's like you you – defeat uh, animals and you can skin them to get leather and then you can use that to craft stuff, right? In the Maldraxxus zone, so the entire zone is basically like made of flesh and bones. It's, so it's like and the bog sort of the feel yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, and there are giant warts on the ground oh, that, no. you can, that you can skin off of the ground oh. if you're a skinner <laughs> <laughs> to oh. get leather. <laughs> no, thanks. No, thanks. I saw that and I was like, <laughs> Why would you cross that line, Blizzard? Why? Yeah, that was, they did it. They, yeah, they did it. They they went they went all the way. Uh, it's pretty fucked well, up. Hey, they got us talking about it, so I guess design yeah. achieved. For, fortunately, know? I'm not a skinner, so when I see a wart, I can just go the other way. I don't need to like, go. <laughs> <and accident. laughs> um, oh, I hate it. So there's that, and then the, the second thing is this really cool <laughs> thing that they've done, which is they basically made a, like a World of Warcraft version of Slay the Spire. Mm. Um, 
so so in the game you can like you can get this this stuff called soul ash which you use to cr- to create legendary items that are like super super powerful the only way to get the soul ash is to go into this tower the tower of the damned called torgast mm. and and the way it works is you go in there and you have to ascend through the different floors and every three floors there's like a big boss that you have to defeat and as you accomplish objectives and kill like tougher enemies they drop these glowing sort of like orbs of uh, like soul energy and when you click on it it brings up a couple different choices mm-hmm. of like what kind of way to empower your character and the empowerment only lasts for this run through the tower. So they made a roguelike inside of an MMORPG. They made a roguelike, yeah, they made a roguelike out of it. And and because it only operates inside this specific scenario, yep. then they were able to make shit so unbelievably overpowered. Like by the time you get to the the end of this thing, you know, your character is just like a an unstoppable you know, wrecking ball. And it's and like, sometimes you're moving like 300% faster than normal. And you've got like combinations of abilities that are normally impossible. And your stuff is like hitting things from across uh, the world. Like it's crazy so the stuff you can do. So uh, that's been, that's been a lot of fun. I'm glad that they kind of like, they, they found a way to uh, sort of like a B test really wild shit because it's like, you get millions and millions of players constantly choosing between two or three different things, you know, mm-hmm. which means that like maybe some of these things will make their way into the game in the future, you know. What's uh, exciting to me about that, it is actually that um, – so we talk about actually just doing general genre experiments and stuff like that uh, at a big studio or in a big company. It's it's really hard to like – for example, if, if, if Warcraft wanted to launch a roguelike Warcraft, because the thing is like roguelikes are actually an extremely hot genre right now, right? Like they're – they're doing yep. incredibly well, um, both on the indie side, and then you're seeing you're seeing some of the larger players in the indie space actually take advantage, so like Supergiants Hades coming out recently. Um, there's there are, it's a really popular genre and for a very good reason because it it just doesn't take so much content to get uh, a crazy amount of, of playtime, and the design is actually uh, as you mentioned says, but it basically it's easier to design for in in a couple of very particular ways when it comes to balance because mm-hmm. the point of a roguelike is to allow the player to break the game at some point once they they, yeah. they learn enough that they can essentially choose the synergies that let them literally break the game because that brokenness only lasts for a little while and then it all mm-hmm. resets right it's, it's not like a, you as the designer to break the game so that you can have a boss that's like basically impossible unless the player right. manages to get the right combo of Break game breaking features, mm-hmm. right? That they can then use against that boss. Yeah. So, yeah. like, what I actually yeah. what I love about this is that uh, when you look at these these large games, and so League of Legends is another game that does this uh, pretty regularly, where they they either they introduce these other game modes that take the current rule set and just like completely change it, but keep the map. Or uh, in the case of they like they they launched a team fight tactics and some of the other things, where literally all they're doing is they're using the same assets from the the normal game, and they just sort of like they just kind of change the map and then they completely change the rules and like what is actually happening on like a, on a design level, but while keeping all of the same assets, all of the right. And it's one of those really special things to me because it's like the, think about how cheap that is, right? You're, yeah. you're almost working purely in a design and programming sense, as opposed to all, all of it, you know, like do sound yeah. effects, uh, music, like all this other stuff. Um, yeah. and you'll of course do plenty of custom stuff in that regard. But I think that's really exciting to me, especially because, if I think if Blizzard can figure out a way to actually effectively there's there's this sort of design problem with these essentially these legacy games like which I mean WoW's been out for 20 years now right or 15 years something like that 16 years Six, uh, 16 years yeah, yeah. so you know about a game that's that old and there's a design problem there which is always that like it yeah it appeals to its its original audience and maybe some more people but the truth is like designs the sort of general design meta shifts over time. Um, and it's really hard for games like this to actually be able to make those fundamental shifts. Uh, and so I think finding a way where you can actually provide a completely different experience that is sort of in the current design meta of like the games industry inside of this game without having to like break all of it apart. If that makes sense, like you still get to keep the old systems. Yeah. And you well, just that's, have that's new zone. for me, that's always been kind of the, the appeal of the MMO, which is that it actually is like 12 different games. Yes. 
in one game where you have one character that kind of moves between the, the game modes, you mm-hmm. know, and also the same group of friends. Like you don't, you know, if, if I wanted to get, uh, if there was like a, a, a multiplayer roguelike game and I wanted to get some of my friends to play it with me, what would I have to, to do? Like I'd have to convince them to buy it. Then we don't have to learn it and you know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Um, but if it's part of a game that we're all already playing, then we just go there. You know, we just walk yep. over there and just walk in, you know, uh, which is pretty cool. So, yep, been having a great time with that. Uh, the expansion is great. So definitely recommend if you're a, a WoW player, former WoW player, or MMO gamer, you know, check it out. And we should mention the, uh, and then, the thing we should take our recommendation back from, uh, from last podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I watched, I watched that jujitsu movie. The, the mm. Nicolas Cage fighting an alien. Um, uh, <laughs> it's you probably one of the, the. It's probably one of the worst things. Period. Like, uh, like <laughs> think of think of uh, things. Just like you know, as a concept. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of different things that exist in the universe. In fact, everything is a thing. Mm-hmm. And if you were to rank all of them from best to worst. This Nicolas Cage movie will be somewhere around the bottom of bad. all the things in the universe. <laughs> yeah, so don't watch that. Don't waste your time. Just a quick PSA before we head on to the next section. And don't not, not watch even it. So bad it's good because those Correct. things. No, exist. that's what I was. That's what I was expecting. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to be like a campy sort of like cheesy, bad but still good because it's people fighting an alien mm-hmm. kind of movie. But it's not even that. It's just not even, and it, and it probably isn't even something that would appeal to like a very young, because because there were some dumb as shit movies that we loved as as kids that you know, Kung Pao. Would, like Kung no, Pao this exactly movie, <laughs> no, no, this appeals to no one. Um, yep, I I don't I I can't imagine a a person uh, who who would enjoy it. So <laughs> <laughs> so do not stay away. So don't don't just don't. Uh, and then Sam, you've been playing some stuff. You've been playing Monster Train. Well, yeah. So speaking of quite a bit, speaking of roguelikes, um, so it's a funny experience where you know, I talked I talk quite a bit about Monster Train, I don't know, like three or four months ago when I played it for like 30 hours over the course of a week. Uh, uh-huh. And I love, I love game. I like, I love roguelikes. I like games that, uh, do the thing where they just kind of grab you by the face for a while. Um, and, and make you just kind of constantly think about them. So I had left, they had introduced uh, a whole new suite of champions, just sort of like your your cornerstone card that you kind of build your, start to build your deck around. And they had basically, there was previously only one available uh, per one of these races that you play as in the game, one of these deck types. And then they literally just doubled. They were like, here's another one. And of course, again, because it's a roguelike, uh, each of them has completely different weird ass powers, right? And so yep. it, it literally completely changes how you have to approach the game. And so I'd gone back through and I played through with uh, four of the five and I could not, the fifth one could not figure out how it was good. I was like, this doesn't make any damn sense at all. I'm like very annoyed trying to play through with this particular uh, character's abilities and powers. And so I basically spent probably five hours trying in the game. Like you can beat this in about 35 minutes. So this is probably, you know, 10 to 12 sessions puzzling out how the hell this thing worked and trying to make it right. go. Uh, and then I finally got it. Basically, it was the first thing that I did on the first day of vacation. So Wednesday morning, woke up. I had sort of an epiphany in the night where I was like, I think I understand now. And then came back to it. Uh, and then had one of those runs. Again, like the beauty of a roguelike is you can have a, have a run, quote unquote, a session where you just get kind of lucky. And so mm-hmm. – Everything that I needed to happen happened, and then a thing I didn't even know could happen also happened to sort of like double the power on this thing. Um, and so at the very end, uh, fighting the last boss, when the boss finally shows up, my guy hit him once for four thousand damage and just killed him in one hit. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of the roguelike system, right? You're like, I am yeah. so smart. Look what I've done, right? And it's so fun. So I had a great time with that. And then uh, because of Game Pass, and I, you know, I've talked about Game Pass too. Like we talked about because level head, but also like. Holy shit, man. I I was just scrolling through Steam actually this morning because, uh, you know, around – again, it's Black Friday everywhere now. So uh, Steam has their autumn sale going on and I was like, oh, I'm going to go pick up some – sometimes I'll pick up uh, like three or five games because they're like five bucks each usually. Uh, so 20 or 30 bucks worth of games. Every game I wanted, I already have. 
on Game Pass. Just on Game Pass. And because they added <laughs> EA's play, EA's play, which is EA's own subscription thing, into Game Pass. Oh, and, right. and you got yeah. those too. There were these yeah. other games like Dead Space. I've never played, always wanted to. Uh, a couple of these other like just larger kind of EA titles. The Star Wars Jedi game. Never got to play it. Always wanted to. The new one. Uh, and I saw this on Steam and I was like, oh yeah. And then I was like, wait a sec. It's just like part of EA play. And then I was like, oh yeah. And I already have that too. So I, I just like, <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is weird. I have all these games. The, va- the value proposition is absurd. It's genuinely absurd. <laughs> and so I have a basic list of games that I'm just kind of burning through uh, over the course of the break. And the, and the big point for me, part the reason I like Game Pass so much, because I there's very few games that actually grab me enough for me to sit there and and play them for you know 30 hours of stretch. But uh, I view it almost like a it's a general sort of a research and a uh, it's it's very fun for me to jump from game to game and just kind of see how they're doing things and pick up ideas along the way uh, for mm-hmm. our own stuff. So um, the most recent one I played then was Knights and Bikes. I played yesterday, which mm-hmm. was one it's of the on Switch. Yeah, and it's it's good. It's really good, and it's one of the most raucous and like just just well, just extremely well done on an like an artistic level, on a storytelling level. It's also very good if you like to play games and have a partner, a friend, or somebody who doesn't. And you want to hang out together. It's a very good, yes. like just casual enough game. Um, sort of simple, simple gameplay, simple mechanics, simple concepts, uh, but still with enough depth um, that it's just very fun and satisfying. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And like the storytelling is really good. I'm just looking at it and I know I watched the talk uh, a long time ago by uh, one of the two kind of creators of the thing who did apparently the bulk of, I believe, the bulk of the art or maybe all of it. And I'm like, how the fuck? Because there's. There is so much. There's a lot of art in there. Yep. So much stuff. And granted, like they, they again, you know, part of it is choosing a style that you can work in quickly and all this other stuff. And and it's got a particular aesthetic to it. Um, that is, uh, it's an easy to work in aesthetic because it's not super precise. There's not. Uh, it's basically it's, it's mainly color work and almost more more painterly in a lot of ways. Um, but I yeah, I was just kind of shocked. I was like, this is really well done. And the opening in particular, just if you could just you watch this on YouTube, it's like two minutes. The opening of that game is like the, just the best damn opening for a game I have seen in a long time. And basically what happens is you you just hit start and then depending if you have one or two players, you put one or two cassettes into a, a stereo. Okay. Mm-hmm. These little hands. Yeah, their UI work is very fun. Yeah. So you put <laughs> these little cassettes in and then when you hit play, then the music fucking like ramps up to 11. It's this like crazy punk rock song about riding your bike. And then now you and your buddy, if you're if there's two of you, but both of you are there anyways, um, are on your bikes just flying downhill. And this is essentially where you learn like left for you know, controlling your character a little bit. Uh, and you're just like it's just this it's like a party for like 30 seconds while they're also doing credits, you know, sort of over the top, like double fine presents. And you're just like, wow, it's just <laughs> God, die, God. And, then it, and then it turns into like a kid's, a kid's like, you know, Scooby-Doo mystery horror kind of game. Yeah. Like, like, some, like we weirdly uh, horrifying. Cause it's like cartoonish and, and like clearly and like in, you know, four kids is the wrong way to say it, but like, that's got that vibe, you know? Uh, to the point where, like, when when you get into the, the to the horror elements, like, they're not it's not horror like other games are, right? But but it's still it's like just enough. That you're like, this is a lot creeper than it. Like, <laughs> it really felt like it had in your right. Time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I was I was genuinely like because I had seen it for a long time and I loved the art when I was looking at it, but I was I was stunned by the, just that overall the overall presentation of it uh, mm-hmm. is just damn good and really really magical. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna be stealing a lot of stuff. From that's very good yeah and yeah and the uh, a lot of the beginning part is like getting your bikes right mm-hmm. so then so that's because you, so you're trying to get your bikes and then you go to this bike shop and then you can upgrade your bikes so like a lot of what you're doing is just like you can like choose the colors on it and get like the decals you want like you can put little little tassels on it if you want to and, like, and so it's, it just all becomes very fun and weirdly compelling because like because you're just like kids riding bikes around yeah i think that's the thing it's, it's, <laughs> it's honestly one of the few games that's that it's probably the only game I've played that so effectively captures that feeling of being a kid. Like an 80s around. movie. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And like, even when you, when you, when you, when you are running, when you press the button to run, your characters are like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fucking awesome. And I was like, dang. Making mouth noises. Yeah. <laughs> and you like, you flip over rocks to find stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we did that girl. Like it's every time yeah. I saw a rock, I was always- like, what's under there? Is there a bug? 
I'm going to go look. There's bugs. Yep, there's always bugs. Yeah, and, and, you, like, yeah, there's nothing and they have like a, they have power-ups <laughs> that you get that are like some of them are temporary and stuff. And and so I do vaguely, I guess it's been a while since I played, but I do vaguely remember jumping in puddles was kind of a core Yeah, mechanic. it's one of the core powers, yeah. Yeah, so you're like, you're jumping in puddles <laughs> to cause things to happen, you know? It's, yeah, it's very, it is very endearing uh, and very charismatic as a, as oh, yeah. a game. It's yeah, it's incredible. So if you have Game Pass, you already have it. So go play it. Yeah. Uh, if you, you don't, get it on Switch. I, I don't know if it's on anything else besides Game Pass and Switch, but yeah. Or if you don't have Game Pass, just go get Game Pass because it's yeah, probably just, the same price to get all of the games on Game Pass as it would be to just get Nights and Bikes by itself on anything yeah, else. I think that is the one interesting. So there's been all this discussion, you know, as as the new console generation was coming coming to a head this year, and, and PlayStation and, and Xbox are launching against each other. And this idea that you know Xbox is using the same business model that it always had, and now now Xbox is using this completely different one. Where they're going purely on a value proposition, like they've got the budget version of the console, they've got this Game Pass concept where they're launching their first party titles right into it. You know, moving forward, they're bringing all the EA titles, like they're you know they're putting back catalog stuff in. They still have a really strong indie presence, which PlayStation has more or less dropped, um, at least for the end of the PS4 lifecycle. Um, and so, so they used to compete like head to head on business model and everything. Mm-hmm. And now that's just not true. And I think the thing that's been very interesting for me to watch is how, for me, as like as an adult person with no sort of no ties to one of those consoles, like from a you know a growing up and having like a tribalism aspect mm-hmm. or whatever. It is yeah. so obvious that the right choice here, if you're going to buy one console, is an Xbox, right, and with Game Pass. <laughs> Because the value proposition is so good, and like and for me, like I don't, I don't play a one game for a thousand hours. It's like, you know, but like I, I, I will try a handful of games. Like, I don't dabble. have a lot of time to play games. I, I dabble, right? And so, like, it is the perfect choice for that. Uh, which is also the reveal, because like, because it looks like, according to all the analysts' claims, um, that PlayStation Five is is still is actually crushing this this sort of next console generation in terms of sheer number of people buying and stuff. So who knows if that's true because I don't know how anybody knows any of this stuff. But um, but I can actually see how that could be true. And actually the strength of PlayStation's business model, as much as I loathe it, uh, from a business standpoint, like it clearly works, right? Because they are the gatekeeper for like the Spider-Man franchise and for all the other franchises that I've literally never played because I have never had a PlayStation, right? But, but they're the <laughs> gatekeeper for these very strong, very powerful franchises. And those are the reason that people buy Correct. Playstations, right? That's the reason. And then you look at the tribalism that gets on top of that, and, you, and you, it's the whole like, uh, it's that whole uh, what is the word for that? Where you start to you start to have to build explanations for your own preferences, right? Because because the reality here is that you buy a PlayStation, you spend you know your five hundred bucks or whatever on a PlayStation, so that you can spend seventy bucks on like three games, right? That's that's the reason that you buy each. a PlayStation. Each, yeah. that is the yeah. reason though. You you buy that PlayStation to play those games, um, but you have to justify. That absurdity, right? Which is like you're you're paying five hundred dollars to pay another seventy dollars to play one game, basically, mm-hmm. right? And to justify that, PlayStation has to be better, right? Yeah. Like it has to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, well, and there's a bit of a there's a bit of a sunk cost problem too, oh, which is like you you like you've you've got the PlayStation now, you don't want to have one game. Yeah, on it. That would be crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You got to get a library. You got to keep, you know, keep getting more games. Yeah, uh, well, they, yeah. I just think it's interesting from a, from a standpoint of a of a person. It's like so growing up with games. Like we didn't like I didn't play that many games. I never got super into it. Um, but, but there have just been various moments in my life where I got into a game. Mm-hmm. But between those moments, I would just survey. I would just play lots of games for a little bit. Uh, a lot of indie stuff, like just trying things out, just just to like have these little brief windows of of seeing kind of the fun, interesting things that are going on in the game space. And I, w- I would get kind of bored of any given game quickly. And, you know, and, uh, and so for me, that's what it means to like be excited about games in mm-hmm. like in the very plural sense, right. Is like, you want to know what's going on out there. So you have to, you try a lot of stuff. You can't possibly just invest all of your time into one thing. Um, and so kind of to see these different definitions of what a person thinks of as being like into games, right. Because right. for right. a lot of people, that means like they play world of Warcraft, or right. Call of Duty, or, or Call of Duty, or whatever. Yeah. They play the one game, right? And the, and then all the trappings that go along with that, meaning like you have to buy this particular console to be able to you know participate in that hobby and so on. And so the hobby is actually a specific game or like a small mm-hmm. number of specific games, versus 
gaming as a hobby in the very general sense where you are constantly trying new stuff and surveying games and, and doing all of that. And I, yeah, I think it's because, because PlayStation's business model works around the idea of the person who loves these like small handfuls of very specific titles. And that, I would say Nintendo is, is the Nintendo's same, the same right? yeah, because, yeah, cause you're, you're going to buy the Mario Kart game. You're going to buy the next Zelda game. You're yep. going to buy the next animal. Like there, there's a, there's a handful of franchises where like, if you have a switch, you're going to buy those games. Yeah. You just will buy yeah. them and they will be $60. Yeah. You know? but that's how, I mean, <laughs> that's growing that. up in the PC, yeah. like in the PC market in the, you know, the nineties, right. Um, that was also what we had because there were there were so few the games and, yeah. like, and they were so expensive. We were of course buying them with allowance money, right? <laughs> so so we could buy a game and you had to know you could trust it. And so it was the same deal. Like you're buying from the same publishers. Yep. You're, you're gonna buy. You're gonna buy the next Mech Warrior game. Yeah, exactly. You're, like, you're, you're gonna, gonna buy, buy the, the next. Thing. Yeah, the next uh, Blizzard game. And I think that was you're what gonna, I. <laughs> that was actually I think what Steam did for me when Steam originally came out and started to add games on the platform because it made the accessibility barriers so much lower. That the whole idea of like just getting a game because it looked interesting without having to, you know, feel like I spent all my money on it and feel like I had to know for sure it was going to be good and and had, but but it was coming with a with a seal of approval originally by being on Steam, right? And so I got I don't know if you guys remember some of the weird ass like Ragdoll Kung Fu. Do you remember that game? Oh one, yeah, one of the very very yeah. early Steam games that was an indie game. I think it was indie. I don't remember who made it, but it was like just weird fucking games, right? That's that great. were, yeah. but that were so well made that it was like it, that. That brought me into the indie space of like playing just interesting, weird stuff and playing a diversity of stuff, which I had, I wouldn't have been able to do had I not been mm. on PC and then playing Steam games, right? Well, th- there was a there was a time though. I, I distinctly remember there was probably a five year window even where there was this idea of like being a, a Steam gamer like yeah, yeah. When, whenever something came to steam you know, there was a decent chance you, you would buy it. it you'd buy it yeah, oh, yeah, it's I, like, absolutely I'm, I'm sure that i own the first hundred games that came out on steam like i, yeah, I must yeah yeah because yeah, they were all they were all vetted 100 yeah. and and even if they weren't necessarily your kind of game you could still acknowledge like these are good well, like, it was also the first time that they were very cheap good enough, you know because yeah. they yeah the distribution yeah. wasn't yeah. so costly well, i think that that's yeah. what's interesting to me about this generation is that the a couple of like YouTube reviews and stuff like that that I've seen so far for you know Xbox and PlayStation. It's the first time that I've seen it where people are like, you know, which ones should you buy? And most frequently the response is both. Yeah, because they're way to get both. Right they're now. actually doing completely different. different things now. Um, yeah. yeah, they're not the actually Xbox, competing in a meaningful way. They're just doing different stuff. Yeah, and one of the biggest points that we made is that like they pulled out, I think it was Red Dead Redemption, the original one which is from the Xbox 360, put it into their Xbox. And things like all, all of Xbox's games are compatible with the new device. Yep. All of them. Yep. So if you've still got those CDs laying around, uh, like you can actually play the damn things versus that that's just not the case on PlayStation, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, it works to play at PS4, but not for PS5. And so it's one of those things where it's like, again, being ex- weirdly consumer friendly, frankly, uh, you know, on Microsoft. Yeah, side Microsoft. Things, yeah, yeah. Right. Like a really big shift there. Uh, and so it's basically the first time where, where it's like, do you want, yeah, you, it's almost like the first time where the the three giants have kind of gone into their own territories enough where it feels like the goal is to slowly over the course of a couple of years get all three things so you can, you know, yeah. dabble yeah. across. Well, I think because, yeah, like you said, Switch and PlayStation are still using the exclusivity model. Like that's their driving thing, mm-hmm. except that what Switch has been pushing is – and what they always do is like here's a weird hardware configuration that we think yep. might work, right? And going with the, the hybrid portable – non-portable model, I think was, it's, it's such a good fucking hardware model that, I, that to yeah. me, independent of how much better the hardware is for, from the other, like there's no comparison. Like, cause I mean, basically a, a switch is a shitty phone in terms of its hardware capability, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but as a convenience mechanism with a suite of good stuff on it, um, like it's just so hard to compare. And, and of course the, the games that are on there are large. It's, it's overlapping with the other platforms because um, lots of things are on everything, but, but it is still like, a, it's got its own thing going on that has a very different vibe. It's that Nintendo, like colorful, friendly vibe that they have, they have fucked up a bit by some of the stuff they've let in, but, but still it's overall, <laughs> it's got yeah. that vibe, right? It's like, yeah, sit down on the couch, grab anybody, no matter how much the gear about games, no matter how old they are, no matter how, uh, underrepresented they are typically in games and so on, right? Like there's going to be some good shit for you on Switch, right? Like, I think they've, they've done a really yeah. good job of capturing that idea in the market. 
versus, you know, PlayStation, which is just like, we have, we have the thing that you want, right? And yep. this is the only place you can get it. And we're all about like, how performant can we be while giving you exactly the, this, this one, you know, thing, right? And yeah. Yeah. That, I think this new space that Xbox is going to is very, I don't, I don't quite understand how it works in the long term for them as a business model. Um, just in terms of, I the, guess we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But the value yeah. proposition yeah. just seems too good, you know? And I don't, well, it's the power of, of subscriptions, right? So, like, we you see yeah. apparently, uh, they refer to it as a, as a, as a fishtail, which is in the if you see a company switch over from a a like point of sale based thing where you buy a unit and that's sort of how you make your revenue. I think what's happened when Adobe uh, switched over to their Creative Cloud service too uh, is at first you see a drop in revenue as people switch yeah. over to subscription, but then within a short period it's, of time, the, the total number of people in the subscription. Um, vastly, vastly outperforms uh, what you actually get from you. Well, I guess it's probably true, right? Because probably most people buy, like on consoles in particular, buy like a game a year, probably. Yeah, it's just not, it's actually not, it's not, actually not very yeah. much. Um, it's, it's easy to forget that we, that we, especially being members of the games industry and, and like, and people who are like really into games and in particular indie and having grown up in the PC market with Steam and so on, right? Where we're so exposed to the idea that like, oh, there's a sale on, I should buy a bunch of games and, and try yeah. them all, right? Uh, yeah, which is actually, those, a, you know, yeah, it's, it's well, it's a, that's a foreign concept on consoles, um, historically speaking, uh, until very recently. And, um, but also, it's just not the way that most people play games. Again, they like they choose their one game, they invest all their time into it. So, so I can see how if you if you move over from that model where you're basically getting sixty bucks from a person a year, right, to now getting the fifteen bucks a month over the course of the year, right, that you're just actually making more money yep. on any given person. And like the people who are only buying the one thing a year are now actually spending more money to get that one thing, right? Mm-hmm. But they're now dabbling in other stuff. Because yep. they can, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think I think it's very, and obviously it works for Netflix. Like Netflix is spending a fuckload of money bringing content onto the platform, um, and it's making a fuckload of money too. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like it must work, but it's just, it is just so hard. It, it's such a different model that seems in such stark contrast. It's kind of just impressive that it that it. Okay, so I want to I want to bring this around to the tourism industry. Mm. Okay. Because speaking of long-term subscriptions versus like single small burst transactions, Mm -hmm. you know, because what's happening because of COVID is tourism is kind of collapsing, you know, all all over the place. And there there are entire, in some cases, entire countries um, where tourism is their largest source of of revenue, Mm -hmm. you know, coming into the, into the country. And so, uh, so several countries, uh, I think the, the fore, forefront of this is Barbados. They are putting together something called a sort of a, it's a remote work visa, which is, hey, if you are able to work remotely, why not do it from Barbados mm-hmm. instead of from, you know, your wintry dark house in the middle of, you know, the Midwest or something. So, uh, so what they're doing is they're saying, if you have a job already uh, that allows you to work remotely, then we will just let you live and work in, in Barbados, and you don't even have to pay Barbados income tax or anything. Right, because like you'll, you'll be pay, spending you, money there, which is basically the same idea as yeah. tax. So, yeah, so this is this is genius because this is now basically converting into sort of like a longer-term – sub- like, <laughs> like a yearly right. subscription model. So you're going to go – that because what, what you need is if you think about it, like the math is, is obvious, which is like – Instead of having, you know, a hundred thousand people coming for uh, one week each, if you get like two percent of that to come for a year, then mm-hmm. now you've already you've already. Well, I think it's, it's that right? idea. Like this is also why we talked about in the past of having with Levelhead having worked out business deals before launch and uh, and all that. Like that that the thing that that you get from a from a subscription model is that is that long term constant dependable revenue, right? Which is right. And you're seeing a lot of games move to subscription on like, you know, Apple in particular, because they've made subscriptions a really big push mm-hmm. on the platform. Uh, and there's a reason, like there's a reason that everybody loves it from the, on the business side, right? Which is, yeah, you, you miss out on that initial huge influx, but a huge influx uh, for, 
for anybody who thinks that it sounds great to like get all of your money like in one go and be done with it, it's actually terrible because of tax burden. <laughs> Bailey, well, also right? just resource like the resource re- resources required to <laughs> infrastructure required to deal with a burst. It's just like t- the tourism. Yeah. Like you see what happens yeah. after a festival comes to town. Like, holy fuck. I mean, like the total amount of infrastructure that has to be sprung up to support like a music festival showing up or, or like the, the Olympics. Or the Olympics, or even just like the holidays in Barbados. Usually, I'm sure it's yeah. just insane because, like, you yeah, go so from, or conventions at, a, at like Moscone, and, yeah, and right? thirty thousand people yeah. depend on. Yeah, the, everybody descent. comes in one go, and they, they overwhelm the system that during the time that they're there, then they leave, and the system is built at a capacity that that has to be able to at least almost accommodate its peak, right? But that means yeah. in order to do that, then in the troughs, yeah, this is what to do with, with like server infrastructure, right? When you're like exactly. Yeah. Yeah, when you have a multiplayer game, if you if you just if you if you own your own servers and you have to like literally buy hardware and whatever, right? The reason that people are not doing that really anymore, or at least not as much, is because you have to have enough server capacity to match peak demand, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens? That means you're and if you look at any cycle, like any cycle for multiplayer games or any online activity, it it's literally its peak is double its trough on a on a cycling on a weekly twenty four hour basis and you yeah, know, on a weekly basis like the, the the amount of variation is it's very predictable but enormous and so if you're always spending just the peak amount of money I and mean, this is true Ooh. now if you have infrastructure for a tourist industry right uh, then it even is during the trough yeah. yeah even during the trough then it is super fucking inefficient and like and it's it, it's a it's a it's so undependable, right? Because any one thing that gets fucked up now, if it gets fucked up during the peak, like COVID, yeah. right? It's so it's over. It's just you. over yeah. versus having this long-term dependable system. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I think this idea of trying to convert people from instead of like a a very short-term burst of exchange into a long-term like lifestyle customer, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is something that you're seeing kind of happening all over the place because as more and more industries get into that business model, they realize like, oh yeah, this is actually like it's a good one. It's, it's a good there's one. A, <laughs> there's a long term consequence to that in games. That's interesting, right? Because because in Steam, like the, the reason I would never just be like, oh yeah, I've just switched from Steam to Epic. Like that that will never happen because I own some ungodly number of games on yeah. Steam, right? Because there is a subscription model, and so so a lot of what anchors me to Steam is a fact that I've already been using it because yep. that stuff is in there versus a subscription model where you just have access while you're subscribed. And, and in a lot of cases, like an, an Xbox Game Pass included, um, games get kicked out over time, right? Yep. So Because yep. they're trying to keep almost a constant number of, of titles in that in that pool. And so, of course, you could buy it afterwards, right? But the incentive now has dropped a lot um, because you didn't already have it and you you know, so so I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see in the in the long term, um, because then when you're an, an entity like Netflix or Game Pass that relies on subscription, uh, when your competitors start to move into the subscription space, you again start competing on exclusives because you're trying to you have to have ways mm-hmm. to anchor people into your system, right? Um, and and to keep them from leaving, given that the only reason to keep them from from leaving is by holding on to content that they really want, meaning you don't kick it out of the system, right? Uh, or by bringing in content that is so good that you don't mind that something else got left behind. I mean, my guess is you'll see probably uh, you'll you'll probably see the inclusion of like a permanent collection at some point. That's yeah, essentially part of the subscription, but actually like the, separate. the big first party content, right? That'll, yeah, because like I mean, like it's not like Minecraft's ever going to go out of fucking game or like Ori. Like none of those. Like there's no reason for any of those to ever leave Game Pass, and so. Yeah. At some point, like they they will probably need to essentially Although, like, you've seen the other shores, which is to kind of split them apart. Yeah, maybe they'll do it like the Disney model, you know, with the vault, where they're like, yeah, everybody Ooh. would buy they'd buy Sleeping Beauty f- for all of time, right? But if we if we make if we artificially suppress its availability, no, honestly, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. Mc, McRib yeah. McRib that yeah. thing. Yeah. You can see like we, right, we don't know if we even talked about this in the podcast, but but with uh, Nintendo's you know thirty five year anniversary of Mario and whatever. Uh, they did. They're doing this this weird ass thing on the Switch where they have that that trio bundle of the 3D Mario games, right? So mm-hmm. it's like Mario Galaxy and Mario 64 and something else. Yep. Um, and uh, and they're artificially suppressing it because they you have, we have you have until like March of next year, I think, to buy it, and then it's just going off the store. So you'll have it if you bought it. Yeah, but then it's yeah, just gone. It's not like they have. It's not like they have inventory. Yeah, like, they don't have inventory. Yeah. So, they, so they, they just decided to do this, which is which is really. Fascinating choice, right? This this creation of false scarcity um, in this context, um, 
Yeah. Well, that's an interesting framing, though, because it is real scarcity. Because you can only get it until you know oh, whatever. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. The the fact that it's uh, that it's made up doesn't make it any less real, which I think is kind of it's like cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is kind of uh, I, I can understand how some like that puts a bad taste in some people's mouth. Well, I think you know? I, when, I, when I say false, but, though, I, I, yeah, I think right. I, I, the idea that it isn't real is a hard one to shake. But I think actually the the more important thing <laughs> is that uh, the cost of digital distribution. Once you've set it up, right, is yeah. is basically is, it's basically nothing. Like once you've yeah, worked, once you've done it, and so so it's false scarcity in the sense that it doesn't have to be scarce, right? Yeah. Well, this this reminds me of a of a lot of times I see I see uh, players in in World of Warcraft talk about false gates in things, which is like here's a thing that I want to achieve, but there's like a weekly reset timer on it. So I can only get it, you know, so fast or something. And this is a false gate to my progress. Right. Versus the rest um, of the game, which is somehow a, a real gate. As opposed as opposed to is. the real yeah, as opposed to the real gate of like when I kill a boss, sometimes I don't get the thing that I want because it's random, right? Like yeah. that's for some reason real. Well, I think it's fine. the sense of <laughs> I think it's the sense of arbitrariness, right? Because like Well exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and how transparent it is. Because it, it's very transparent yeah. if just like on a week a thing resets versus if you, you need to get XP to have Something well, to happens, me, it's a, right? it's a juice problem. Yeah, because what you could do is, if every week uh, some like demigod thing shows up and like punches the door of the dungeon closed, right? And it's like you did this already. Fuck off, you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and like you can't. There's no you can't get through that demon. Like he'll just kill you no matter what. Um, that's a very different flavor than just being like there's a timer in the upper right of your UI. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. What's yeah? It's, it's the designedness of it. Yeah. Versus it's, it's, it how, it's how transparent, and, and it's also how transparent. Is what they're doing because when it comes to like a leveling system, right? You don't think of that as like, oh, they're trying a to turn me through content and whatever. They're trying to falsely restrict my character's level, right? You don't think about that. You think about yeah. that as a progression <laughs> system, right? Uh, and, yeah. and so, so yeah. basically, the question is, how transparent is the motivation of the design? So when it comes to in a store, when they're like, we're going to sell this thing to you that costs us nothing to sell to you, and we're only going to do it for the next three months, no matter how much people want it, right? The the transparency there of like why are they doing this? It's, it's to create uh, it's to create a rush so that people who are on the fence about buying it will just buy it anyway. That's what that's its purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Because they know they can't later. So even if they're not sure that they want it, they're going to get it now, right? It also becomes news, which by the way, like it's the it hardest fucking news, thing yeah. to stand out. So if you can stand yeah. out multiple times with the same game that is thirty five years, like the whole Mario yeah, because you know, like the come on, like, a month before it goes off. A new round of articles. Week before yeah. it goes up, a new round and of articles. Gonna go off. And then six months later, it'll show back up and be like, oh my God, it's back. Yeah. It's like a big rip, yeah. right? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. admittedly, like, I, I used to be in the camp of being like, oh, this is such bullshit, you know, like that, that a company would essentially uh, falsely or artificially create scarcity or do something like that in order to just like immediately promote sales, right? But on the flip side, who cares? Yep. You know, like good, good, good for them. If they, if they found a way to like dramatically drum up news and interest in one of their products and get more people engaged with it or like get more people subscribing for longer or whatever, you know, like cool. Think about it, like, how do you feel about the NVIDIA card shortages, you know? Cause what? like, oh yeah. Or the PlayStation shortages. Like do these have to be this scarce or was this? Cause like, is Nintendo notoriously, like notoriously puts out, Fewer physical version, yep. you know, physical quantities of things that it that it knows the demand is in order to create that. Um, yeah, and so like everybody does this. Rock stars purpose, purposely buy venues that they think they can overfill, yep. you know, so that like it's oh a yeah, God, you would house, yeah, as, you know? as a star, you wouldn't want to show up at like a half empty arena. Yeah, like that. You looks always terrible. want you always want standing room only. Yeah. You it is, know, it be like, it, though, right? because when it, when it when it's in a situation where. Because I think we're seeing this with with the PlayStation Five in particular, because um, because uh, it, it is so scarce relative to demand um, that it's creating active hostility. You know, like yeah, a, a yeah large, you don't want to you don't want to over. Yeah, you got to be careful. You got to overshoot it. Yeah, you got you got to you got to do it enough to drum up. Yeah, and if you're Nintendo, uh, you can't do wrong by your fan base. So that's like the that's the big advantage. Yeah, it's literally, it's literally impossible. Yeah, <laughs> imagine imagine if fucking EA did this with some title that everybody really wanted, right? And they were and they oh the yeah, the thing. torches like, would be out. The outrage would be so enormous. Yeah, Nintendo's next console, they'd be like, okay, so we accidentally it is covered in needles, but 
it does have the next Zelda game. And yeah. People are like, say no more, I'm in. <laughs> and you also know that like if Nintendo releases the next console at some point, like it's not gonna be backwards compatible. They're gonna they're gonna no. like part of their whole strategy of, of having consoles feel so different is so that they can resell you games yeah. again, right? So because yeah. like even now, like they like all everybody wants is for their favorite old Nintendo games to get ported to Switch so they can buy it again. The conversation isn't even, I've already <laughs> bought it. Can I just have it here? That's not even part of yep. yeah, the nobody ever. And, yeah, nobody's like, oh, this is such like a cash grab, which yeah. people are, lo- love to accuse game developers yeah. of, of, of doing, but, which it's, is why we have money grabbed up, be sketched on. Yeah, but the, it's, it's just because like the Switch is so obviously different versus the other consoles where each one is like, it's just the same thing, just more powerful. And so it feels really artificial again right like it, it and it's not the artificiality it's the transparency which is what people are getting bugged by right um, yeah yeah when, when the only obvious reason for a decision is it makes more money this way. exactly yeah like that's that's when people slap the oh this is a false restriction right versus it's hard so if like you're moving from you know uh, the wii u to the switch it's like these don't even like one's got a fucking like window you hold on to and look at yeah you know, whatever <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, fe- yeah. it feels a little more like oh yeah, something hard would have to happen to actually do this. Yeah, uh, all right. Let's get on to like one question before we wrap the episode because uh, we're a little tight on time. So, all right, this question comes from podcast.bscotch.net where people can ask questions and vote on them, and sometimes we answer them. We always answer at least one. Yeah, often uh, exactly today. One. Only one. Top question and only question of the day comes from Tim Conceivable, who says, Sam, you have mentioned switching over to Clip Studio Paint from Inkscape for art, but you haven't said why. What made you decide to switch software? Was it a conscious decision to move from vector to raster assets, or is it just faster for you to work in? Uh, And also the animation tools. Did you try other programs before deciding on Clip Studio Paint? So, yes. Is the short yes, answer to all your questions uh, to go to a little bit more in depth? Basically, <laughs> what I was finding was that uh, as people, some people will know it from previous podcast episodes to talk about how my the animations I was doing in the case of Levelhead had to be done by individually exporting files, throwing them into GIFMaker.net to check check them out, and then sending Seth basically a uh, a like basically a dope sheet, a timing sheet. Um, I don't know why they're called dope sheets, which is kind of hilarious. But an animation, an animation timeline is called a dope sheet. Probably yeah, at some point somebody made one and they showed it to somebody else and they were like, well, that's fucking dope. That's, <laughs> that's probably true. true. This sheet is dope. <laughs> so I basically would send Seth a, a dope sheet saying, hey, you know, use this animation at this timing. Blah, blah, blah. And then Seth would have to program it. He'd send it over. He'd be like, is this right? It'd be like, probably, maybe, who knows? Kind of fast, whatever. And so there was, there was a, a lot of stuff that basically Seth would end up having to do on his side that um, would take up a lot of programming time. So in terms of time implementing, for example, most most of the enemies in uh, Levelhead, a lot of time would actually be put into the into once they were once the art was done, Seth would have to go hook the art up. And so a big part of my impetus going into uh, Crashlands was to move some of the burden that was on Seth as far as implementation of art back onto into my camp. Uh, for two reasons. One is to allow Seth to do more of the systems-based uh, programming stuff that we knew we would need given the scale of uh, Crashlands 2. And then the other one was so that was basically for an iteration thing. Because a lot of the stuff in in the case of, of Levelhead or whatever else, it was hard enough to iterate on it once it was in because of the like animation timings and stuff like that, that I couldn't, I mean, I really couldn't effectively iterate a lot on, on any given animation and stuff like that. So I searched around for a lot of programs. I looked at uh, Clip Studio Paint. I looked at Affinity Designer, which I talked about a few months ago on the podcast. Uh, I looked at Toon Boom Harmony, which is a very advanced uh, animation tool. And I think a couple other just kind of more random programs, Photoshop included. And the goal was to then basically find one that, that would allow me to actually iterate on the animation side of things myself before even bothering Seth with things. And then one that would still have vector in it, and this is this is a like a key note for all this this question about vector versus raster material. So, so again, the benefit of working in vector is that you can scale stuff however the fuck you want, and it doesn't lose any of its uh, crispness, its fidelity, it's fidelity. Now, here's the <clears throat> the wrinkle: until you export, until you fucking export, vector is imaginary, it. right? It's like because the reality yep. is at some point it's just pixels. Yeah, because. Game Maker is not running our graphics in vector. 
Right, right. It can. There's like Game Maker actually has some vector graphics uh, capabilities, but most games are not run in vector because actually becomes it becomes far more expensive. Yeah, it's as computationally you costly to do it versus graphics. Graphics mm-hmm. usually costly. Yeah, and yeah. so so the games have actually they're always raster. It's always actually just a bunch of pixels at the end of the day. And so one of the things that would happen on occasion while using Inkscape is I'd work on something and then export it and then it would look a bit different. And the reason it would look different is because I don't actually know what pixels Inkscape is going to be choosing to be what colors, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it rasterizes it, it's got to it's got to choose it's got to choose colors. So when you're on a boundary between, you know, one color and another color, it's like what happens what happens here? In yeah. between there, or even like in Inkscape, you could have a you could have a line, a stroke around something that's point zero three pixels wide. Yeah. You could have imaginary lines that you see yeah. that literally will not they don't exist once you. But of course, yeah, there's no such thing as a point zero three pixel. Yeah, like, there's, there's just pixel. one. Well, there's a pixel. Right. So then do you <laughs> so, round down or do you round up or do you do what actually happens and and you you have to now average like there's just a pixel there and that pixel contains your 0.3 wide black border plus a little bit of like the green thing next to it. And so now you have to average these things out and create one pixel that somehow represents both of those things. When when really what you tend to get is actually just a bit, a bit of muddiness. Yeah. And so basically aliasing is. Yeah. Yeah. So the issue basically became that um, when I was looking at some of the, some of the uh, this is just an experience I had kind of over and over in Levelhead is every so often I just export something and I'd be like this just doesn't like damn it you know because I, I can't I literally can't in the case of Inkscape you cannot see what this thing is going to look like like it's a very important note when you're working in vector you cannot tell actually what it's going to look like when it comes out uh, until you export the thing and so it had this sort of realization where I was like okay I'm working in vector because working in vector is easier but seeing things in vector is actually not easier and this is impossible like, it's impossible and it's not reflecting the reality so again talk about devops stuff being able to actually test your assets if you're as an artist can't see what the fuck is going to be coming out and be put in the game it's a bit of an issue right and it's again it's only a bit like it's a small thing but it kind of stacks up over the course of time makes yeah, things a little in bit essence easier. it's like it's as if like everything you see you're just applying a random you just know there will be a random blur applied to it correct by the time yes. it comes out there's like, uh, unless the scale is huge right in which case it's you it's probably about what you think it would be. so uh, switching over to Clip Studio Paint, then the, a big part of the, dri- the driver for it, as well as looking to Affinity Designers, both those programs operate on both pixel and vector. So what that means is that you could you could actually work completely in vector in uh, in Clip Studio Paint. It works very differently from Inkscape. Inkscape is very much like an illustration style vibe. When you work in vector in Clip Studio Paint, you just make a vector layer, and then now all the lines you draw they look exactly the same as they did, like with textures, whatever. Uh, but they're vector. So you can switch over to a tool then that allows you to manipulate things and push and pull things around. Um, it doesn't have the adding and subtraction. Like it doesn't have a bunch of those other things that are much more focused on vector tooling. Uh, but at the same time, it lets you do it lets you do that initial work uh, where things are really malleable in vector, which is actually what I wanted it for in the first place. And so for me, the big, the big benefit has been uh, the animation tooling inside of Clip Studio Paint is fantastic. Uh, has led to a bunch of increases in animation fidelity for Crashlands 2, which I'm super excited about. And then uh, working in the combination of vector and raster lets me actually know what the fuck my assets look like, uh, which lets me sort of head off some of these issues later. And the reality is, like, if you're if you're doing game art, if you're doing it at, like, a normal, like, 1920 by 1080 resolution, the truth is you are doing pixel art to some degree. Whether you like it or not, like, it, it will be pixel art because it yep. literally is pixels so all digital art is pixel art yeah so at some point like you kind of have to come to terms with that and then play by those rules to a degree and so being in a program where i, where I could actually do that uh on purpose has helped a lot too so i've been really enjoying the tool um and it's been it's been very fun to work with overall yeah and, and we've been able to then create a nice pipeline between uh clip studio paint and spine which yes. then integrates into game maker so um so being able to have Sam fully animate something and then just kind of be like, hey, this thing's ready for import and I just import it. Now it's fully up to date. Yeah, that's a you know? whole different ballgame than before. I mean, I finished a bunch of animations last week and uh, was just like, hey, Seth, these are ready. And then Seth pops in. And he was like, hey, I'm going to do some of this work on those animations. And I was like, there's not really it's not really work to do. You just got to pop it. in. like, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> like you they, just, can you can you tie things in Game Maker to like moments inside the animation? Yep. 
Okay. So I control, yeah, I, I can control when uh, sound effects events play. Uh, we can control when um, the event will be able to control when you know, maybe certain particle effects go off or whatever else. Um, all within spine, which yep. means as soon as Seth hooks, so Seth still has to hook up, you know, like, oh yeah, when this happens, do this in the engine. But then he just sits like, that's a, like a five minute thing, kicks that over to me. And then I could iterate for a day on. Yeah, so now, now if you like change it so that an attack takes an extra 0.1 seconds or whatever, then once Seth reimports it, the attack does take 0.1 more Correct. seconds and yep. nothing yep. has to be touched. Right. Yep. So it's been really slick and really good. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think, uh, you know, we're not ready to show anything yet for where we're at with Crashlands 2 stuff, but you'll notice. It is very cool. You'll, you'll notice the change in animation feel uh, yeah. and, and art feel. Yeah, I'm curious to, because one of the same big th- challenges recently has been to see how few body parts you can get. Because if we're animating everything, right, then and we also need to be able to draw armor and stuff, then mm-hmm. the more things we, that that, the more animation frames there are, the more costly it is to make every single like armor piece that goes on. Cause every say, say you have a, you have a pair of gloves you want to have the character have, uh, you'll need to draw those gloves on every arm that exists to do all the animations you're doing. So like the smeared version and the, you know, just yeah, it could be like 15 arms to be able yeah. to make an armor, or a pair of gloves. Right. But if you only actually, if you, instead of having a left and right arm, you just have a right arm that you, you know, and so, right. So, so the fewer, yeah. <laughs> the fewer body parts you can get away with and the fewer animation, um, uh, frames you can get away with mm-hmm. the the easier downstream content edition is going to be so so sam last week was working on this sort of hilarious effort to just like how few body parts can i have for, uh, to allow for every animation also right so how yeah, few so body can, parts can, yeah, the goal is high fidelity animations yeah right and i think what did you have it down to last week this is i cut almost half of them out yeah, yeah like 15 almost, or something yeah it's ridiculous i don't know how yeah, so, so if you see the like, works, right? yeah, so if, if, if you look at the crash Lands 2 animations that we have right now um uh, which of course you can't but if you if you were to then you'd be like <laughs> how the fuck because it's 15 body parts like it, that, that collectively make it possible for all the the suite of animations that currently happen to happen which is very cool yeah it's it's gonna be pretty cool. I'm so pretty yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited once we actually do start showing stuff, which we're we're a ways off from that, but someday, someday. it'll happen. Uh, all right, well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.